everyone, welcome to the Defiant Podcast. The internet of money is being built with blockchain technology and without banks. We call it DeFi, short for decentralized finance. And this is where you can hear the builders and users of this cutting edge world tell their stories firsthand. I'm your host, Camila Russo. In this week's episode, I talk with Jeff Garcik, the Bitcoin core developer turned DeFi builder. Jeff has been in crypto literally from the very beginning. He even had an email exchange with Satoshi himself or herself about the Bitcoin code. He has seen it all along the way and believes DeFi is the culmination of Bitcoin and Ethereum, an ecosystem that's come to blow up the entire mode and structure of traditional finance. Jeff comes from Leading Block, a blockchain infrastructure company focusing on enterprises. As much as DeFi is exciting and groundbreaking, he believes it's lacking professionalism. Jeff believes DeFi needs to be easy for retail users and institutional users, not just for crypto natives. With that goal in mind, Blog is launching Vesper, a decentralized protocol for users to gain passive interest on their crypto. Their innovation relative to other yield bouncers is that users can pick a risk level and the protocol will invest in different strategies accordingly. We also talked about how open source protocols can leverage their native tokens to pay for contributors and reward users, creating a community that makes it harder for others to compete, even if they can fork the code. Jeff highlighted how these new business models are fostering a new kind of team of independent contributors. We talked about what's next for DeFi and how he believes traditional finance will progressively adopt this infrastructure to become more open and global. Before we get to it, here's a word about our sponsors. OneInch, which you can find at oneinch.exchange, is a decentralized exchange aggregator that sources liquidity from the top DEXs and liquidity sources to save users the maximum amount of money. OneInch is aimed at finding the best possible trading paths and splitting them among multiple market depths. The main highlights of the recently launched V2 are Pathfinder, an API that contains a new discovery and routing algorithm, and a new intuitive user-friendly UI. The V2 improvements are aimed at providing the best rates on swaps and dramatically cutting response time. OneInch Exchange was launched in May 2019 at the ETH New York Hackathon and has surpassed 5 billion in overall volume in just over a year. Neutrino is an algorithmic price-stable cryptocurrency protocol that facilitates the creation of stablecoins tied to specific real-world assets and collateralized by the WAVES token. Neutrino USD, or USDN, is the protocol's first algorithmic stablecoin that has cross-chain extensions and is simultaneously available on three blockchains, WAVES, Ethereum, and Binance Smart Chain. USDN is pegged to the US dollar and backed by Waves, providing its holders with a staking option through the underlying Waves blockchain. Currently, USDN is one of the biggest ALGO stablecoins available on centralized and decentralized exchanges. Go check the website at neutrino.at. With crypto, security and ownership of your assets really matter. To give you full control, Ledger created a hardware wallet combined with a Ledger Live application to secure your crypto while giving you the freedom to manage your assets. The Ledger Live application lets you buy, sell, exchange, and manage your crypto. 
Especially for DeFiers, Ledger enables you to manage and secure Ether, DeFi tokens, and lend stablecoins on Compound directly. Meanwhile, every action you take on the application is secure thanks to your Ledger hardware wallet. You no longer need to use different platforms to manage and secure your crypto. Diversify is a layer two Ethereum exchange built on Starkware, allowing for high-speed, gas-free trading with some of the deepest liquidity in the industry. They recently launched Nectar Beehive V1, a rewards program for liquidity providers of their utility token Nectar. Nectar powers the Nectar DAO and will soon give holders trading fee discounts of up to 20%. Learn more about Diversify Nectar and how it can impact your trading at nectar.community. Here we are with Jeff Garzik, CEO and CTO of Block, a blockchain infrastructure company. Jeff, so excited to have you on the Defiant podcast. Thanks for having me. I really uh, look forward to it. Yay. Okay, so um, before we get into the latest on Block and what um, on Metronome and what you're doing in DeFi with Vesper, um, it, it, you have like so many news and and uh, and announcements uh, to share. Uh, before we get into all of that, I want to you know talk about your background in, in blockchain and, and crypto, because you've been in this space for a long time. You have, have such- a few gray hair. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think crypto can do that to a lot of people. Uh, so yeah, we'd love to, to start with your story. Like how, how did you become involved in crypto in the first place and what, uh, what led you to, uh, to DeFi ultimately? Sure, sure. So uh, I think uh, open source begets open source. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, I've always been interested in, uh, since I was a boy, uh, trading uh, beer and pizza for me doing uh, other people's homework in college uh, mm -hmm. to get internet access in the late 80s. I've always been a, a, a nerd who wanted to con connect with online communities, saw the the great potential of the internet to bring people together and uh, in new ways that uh, have never really been imagined before the internet and blockchain is uh, one of those examples of that. Uh, before I got into blockchain and what led me to it was uh, open source, uh, working on the Linux kernel, uh, which I did for uh, over 10 years. Uh, I was very fortunate to work under Linus Torvalds, the inventor of uh, Linux. Uh, and uh, 20 plus years later, Linux is in on all, almost every Android phone, every uh, data center uh, on the planet. Uh, so I was incredibly fortunate to be there uh, kind of at the beginning, but, you know, in the rough and tumble days. And uh, fast forwarding that story 10 years, I saw exactly the same thing in July of 2010 when I uh, stumbled on Bitcoin on a, a website called Slash.org, uh, News for Nerds was its uh, tagline. It was, at the time, uh, one of the most popular websites uh, on the web. And uh, uh, it was talking about decentralized currency, which uh, maybe uh, a little bit egotistically, I thought was not possible. Mm -hmm. I, I thought to myself uh, skeptically, uh, this thing, there's no way that it's not, you know, one, two, three, four, five servers uh, maybe spread around the world, mm -hmm. but uh, it's still kind of centralized. It's still a, 
a uh, multi-computer type of model uh, that uh, at the time was uh, just cloud. Uh, but I was wrong, and I was happy to be uh, proven wrong. I dove into the source code and saw just this incredible vibrancy of uh, uh, you know intellect and design that Satoshi Nakamoto had uh, put into Bitcoin, and uh, you know really converted from a, a skeptic uh, to a believer uh, simply by the fact that I could prove to myself without having to, to ask any other credentialed third party uh, that this thing was for real. I could look under the hood at the source code, at the core of the system, and say that uh, it was math at the, uh, the center of everything. And that's, that's really, uh, you can't get more fundamental than that. So uh, from there, I, uh, I dove into the project similar to Linux. I started uh, contributing source code changes called patches. Uh, Satoshi, uh, uh, similar to uh, my first experience in Linux, my first patch was rejected. So my first change uh, was rejected. But uh, the way the open source process works is you, it's uh, not just, uh, I don't like this, go away. It's there are these one, two, three, four, five problems. And if you uh, address those, then I'll accept your change into the Bitcoin software. And so uh, it's that kind of pull that uh, really motivates open source developers to do better, to come back, address the, the feedback of uh, the Bitcoin inventor, and uh, play some contributory role. So that was my first foray into Bitcoin. Uh, a developer always marks his first patch to software as, as a real milestone. The first time you touch the software and the, the project leader uh, put your change into the software, uh, and I was I was hooked. From so, from there, I was I I was off to the races. And so, was your your patch accepted? Eventually, it was. I revised oh. the patch uh, according to uh, the feedback that Satoshi gave, and he and it was accepted like it. And, and yeah, direct, like it was his or her or them's <laughs> feedback. That's right. Oh, and wow. So uh, the only uh, communication anybody ever had with Satoshi was either uh, private emails, a couple private emails, or uh, public uh, internet forum posts. So there were no podcasts, no audio calls, uh, none of that stuff. Uh, it was all just uh, internet messaging. Okay. And then so you started contributing to the, the Bitcoin protocol from, from then on? And this was like 2010? That's right. Uh, July of 2010. I, I kind of uh, named it the great slash dotting because this <laughs> one uh, slash dot uh, blog post led to not only myself uh, discovering Bitcoin, but a number of the other early uh, adherents, developers, uh, purchasers, uh, holders. Um, Jed McCaleb uh, started the uh, uh, famous or infamous Mt. Gox exchange uh, off of uh, ideas from that same uh, Slashdot post. So yeah, July of 2010, started contributing. Uh, for the next several years, I uh, worked with uh, BitPay, one of the early payment processors, uh, trying to engineer how people can uh, spend their Bitcoin, uh, this, this at the time new and strange digital currency that uh, 
that nobody really understood. I pounded the pavement like a good activist trying to encourage merchants to accept Bitcoin. Uh, I was the nerd walk, uh, knocking on the door asking, uh, you know, a gold dealer or my uh, contractor fixing my house, hey, will you accept Bitcoin? Here's, here's why it's a great idea. <laughs> uh, and so uh, that was that was 2010. Uh, Satoshi was still around. Uh, Gavin Andreessen is number two was still around. And, uh, you know, any idea was kind of a good idea. It was a real good time for innovation and uh, discussing ideas of, of economics and technology and the fusion of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, very, uh, you know, Wild West is kind of a bad term for it. It's but it's really the pioneer days. Very cool. How how did that evolve? And and can you kind of uh, tell me what happened when Ethereum came around? Uh, sure. Well, uh, there was. Uh, I, I tend to uh, label them first generation, second generation, third, etc. In that uh, the first generation of uh, tokens were people photocopying Bitcoin. Um, you, uh, from a source code perspective, can just download this stuff from the internet, and uh, you could uh, create the the Cami coin and Cami network uh, just by cloning the source code. So it takes a little bit of uh, developer knowledge, but not a lot. And that's where uh, Litecoin was born. It was uh, kind of a photocopy, change a couple numbers, and uh, here you know a marketing tagline of. Uh, silver to Bitcoin's gold, and it was uh, off to the races. So that was really generation number one was uh, people, uh, we call them altcoins at the time, uh, would just photocopy Bitcoin source code. Uh, Ethereum ushered in that second generation. So uh, no longer did you have to uh, maintain this uh, multi-computer infrastructure called nodes Uh, just to create a digital token, you could just create something called a smart contract and uh, publish it on Ethereum. And you had the same censorship resistance of, uh, of a Bitcoin, the same permissionless nature of a Bitcoin. Uh, but you didn't have to, uh, again, spin up a number of computers that are copying this ledger back and forth. Uh, Ethereum kind of leveled up the uh, entire blockchain ecosystem by uh, making it easy to build on top of Bitcoin, excuse me, uh, that's kind of a crypto Freudian slip there, Uh, build on top of Ethereum uh, rather than having to create your own network. Ethereum said, if you're on our network, you're on our platform, it's just another app. Whereas, uh, you know, that's generation two. Generation one, you had to clone your own network. You had to create JeffNet. Uh, in order to create a new token. So Ethereum made it easier. It made it less costly to create new tokens. And so that created that second uh, Cambrian explosion of uh, tokens that we call the uh, the ICO era. (laughs) Uh, With all its uh, froth and hype and bubble um, and uh, frankly, innovation as well. So uh, I, I, I... I'm a very uh, rationalist economic uh, philosopher uh, at heart. Uh, I believe that you know economic incentives uh, tend to drive most people's behaviors. And when the cost of token creation is zero, 
then you will have many people creating many tokens uh, because the cost is low. But most of those will be low value. They will be not worth it very much of anything. Uh, I'm not going to use the derogatory term, uh, but uh, there are a lot of tokens that are not worth a lot. And that's just follows from the long tail of economics. But what is uh, the opposite of a long tail is uh, what I call a fat head, is that there are a few tokens which were innovative and not, uh, you know, just a uh, Ponzi by another name or just uh, money inflation by another name. But they're actually building their real teams. They uh, are adding value. It's not just uh, kind of, you know, a, a, a fiat by another name, in other words. And those teams are now in 2020, uh, fast forward to kind of generation number three, they're releasing their the products, the fruits of their labors, the file coins of the world uh, mm-hmm. who have just been silently building. throughout kind of the crypto winter and uh, they're serious teams with serious products. That's the 1%. Mm. So the 99% we had to swim through maybe a a sea of uh, uh, wild west refuse, but the 1%, they really are smart teams with innovation and that's what you're seeing this year. And so that's where I believe the, the genesis of DeFi was, was that momentum over the past 10 years of first Bitcoin teaching us what uh, digital tokens and digital scarcity was all about. Ethereum introducing a platform where you didn't have to create a new network to create that digital scarcity. And then once we had sort of that second Lego block, it enabled people to create uh, what is now DeFi. It's uh, kind of turning your fidelity.com or Vanguard on its uh, on its head, in that it's so powerful to access multiple financial products from one wallet. Mm-hmm. You know the inverse, kind of the centralized uh, Fidelity and Vanguard experience. You go to a different walled garden to access a different product, mm-hmm. and so uh, DeFi, decentralized finance, opens up. It, it blows up that entire. Uh, moat and structure and says, what if we can all mix and match different products from different vendors in new and interesting ways? Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's that's why I'm so excited about DeFi. That's why DeFi is kind of the culmination of Bitcoin, then Ethereum. And we had to get through the, you know, the, the, the gems and the ugliness of the ICO era. And the lessons learned from that, I call it kind of tuition cost, uh, lessons <laughs> learned. And then finally, we arrive at something that makes sense. It's not uh, frothy like the ICO era. Definitely. And uh, it actually solves real problems for real people. Yeah, I see that as well. Um, but to hear you say that as like, you know, having been in very early a Bitcoiner, it, it's it's not often what you necessarily hear from like hardcore um, OG Bitcoiners. Uh, what do you think that is, and and how did you did you initially see Ethereum as a as as, as something that was positive in this space, or did it take you kind of some time to to kind of see see value there? 
No, it's a, it's a great question. And uh, I see my, my view of Bitcoin as uh, kind of unchanged over the past 10 years uh, in that I think it's the root of the crypto, uh, cryptocurrency tree. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's a stable base, it's resilient, it's uh, the blockchain that even today as we're recording this is the one that's the most bomb-proof, the most difficult to disrupt, the most resilient. And uh, from that perspective, it's no surprise that when people are uh, trading between various cryptocurrencies, they're usually going through Bitcoin or they're going to store some value in Bitcoin just because there's a high trust level, high resilience level. And so it's, it's kind of the rock that you can trust to be there. And uh, that's why uh, one of the three products uh, we're building in Vesper is uh, built on top of Bitcoin. But uh, at the same time, the rock is there to be a rock, to be solid but uh, it's not a, a new wave high-tech rock. It's uh, something that uh, when Ethereum came along is, uh, I feel, additive. So uh, without Bitcoin, Ethereum would not have gotten where it is today. And without Bitcoin, there would be far less total value locked, far less capital on Ethereum. Because one of the one of the dirty, dirty little secrets is that a lot of the OG Bitcoiners are the ones that are putting capital into some of these decentralized finance products. They have a higher risk tolerance and they're a first mover in that regard. So I think it's a, you know, uh, a, you know, a one plus one equals three type of scenario is that uh, if, if someone said Ethereum is leaving Bitcoin and it's dust, I would disagree. I would say that uh, Ethereum builds on top of Bitcoin and then DeFi builds on top of Ethereum. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. Um, okay, and then now I, I want to get into your involvement in, in Block and then going from that, um, what Vesper is. You, you already mentioned it, um, but yeah, if you can kind of uh, lead us through how that developed. Sure. So uh, the you know, 30 second commercial on Block is that <laughs> we're a uh, enterprise infrastructure firm for blockchain. Um, we uh, focus on public blockchains. Uh, people can go to uh, block.com and sign up for an account and uh, access managed nodes, infrastructure uh, for Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Algorand, several other uh, really uh, interesting and innovative blockchains. And uh, that's our core business, and uh, we continue to grow that. And uh, I could uh, talk all day on the podcast about that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we also have a, uh, a unit called Block Labs that uh, spins out uh, innovations out of Block. Mm. Um, in 2017, 2018, uh, the first uh, project that we spun out was Metronome. And uh, we're uh, still uh, continuing to build on that. We have uh, an announcement in the next 30 days about Metronome. Um, that uh, was, in hindsight, uh, DeFi. It was, uh, had an on-chain DEX. It had a, an AMM, an automa automated uh, market maker, uh, which uh, is what made Uniswap uh, very popular today. Um, but uh, we launched it in crypto winter, so that was, uh, that was definitely a challenge 
uh, or a headwind for metronome. But uh, to this day, it uh, remains uh, uh, one of the top 20 projects on DeFi Pulse in terms of total value locked. It's never been hacked. It continues to uh, tick along as engineered. Uh, so we're, uh, we're very proud of that. Uh, next, we uh, launched Titan Mining, which uh, just uh, last week announced uh, it's one of the first uh, regulated North American Bitcoin mining pools. So uh, we're still uh, we're still fans of Bitcoin, and we still uh, uh, build on top of that network. And and as mentioned, it's it's the rock it, that uh, you know we set our back against. And uh, Titan Mining spun out last year, and this year uh, the uh, DeFi experience uh, we had been uh, not not only yield farming uh, privately, playing around with some of these uh, decentralized financial products. Uh, but uh, running into uh, some of the pain points in terms of mm-hmm. hacks, lack of professionalism, and you know, lack of trust in some of these instruments. A lot of them are fly by night. You know, there are terms that uh, should uh, give any retail user pause, like rug pull, where uh, you know uh, it's kind of like an exit scam where the founders run away with uh, millions in uh, deposited assets. And just looked at all that and saw that, yes, there was a lot of innovation, but uh, there was also uh, kind of a lack of professionalism. And uh, so we said, well, uh, we've been doing this uh, for a number of years uh, with uh, Metronome. And so uh, let's take that experience and take what uh, we've learned over 2020 with uh, the the so-called food festival uh, the, the pickles and the sushis and the mm-hmm. wasabis and, and this, that, and the other. And uh, we bake that into uh, Vesper, which is a, a platform or a suite for uh, DeFi products. Uh, the first uh, line of products that we're releasing is a pretty familiar uh, deposit your crypto and earn yield mm-hmm. type of uh, pattern. We call them holding pools for uh Crypto holders, you want to trust that uh, if you put your crypto in a Vesper holding pool, it's going to be there a year, five years, 10 years from now, continuing to earn passive income. Um, and uh, there's there's been definitely a lot of interest from uh, kind of the crypto OGs, the Bitcoiners, the Ethereum crowd. They want something that they can trust that uh, is not that kind of higher risk DeFi food festival. Uh, and they want uh, they want to hold their ETH, their, their Bitcoin, et cetera, but they want to grow it too. They don't just want capital to be at rest. And so that that first uh, that first touch of that product was really aimed at those experts. But, uh, and this is what led to Vesper, we were thinking to ourselves that uh, this experience just needs to level up. It uh, needs to be easy for retail users, for institutional users, and not just the, the, the long-haired crypto folks that uh, we all know and love. And so we, uh, we decided to make it official and uh, kicked off Vesper about six months ago in terms of engineering based on uh, work I did about 12 months ago. Mm. And so the... the the main idea behind Vesper is to provide these um, these automated 
uh, strategies, right, for holding crypto and, and earning yield on that crypto? That's right. That's exactly right. It's, uh, you know, in one sentence, deposit ETH and earn ETH interest. You know, okay. deposit Bitcoin, earn Bitcoin interest. So it's uh, couldn't be simpler. So what, what happens under the hood? Like how, how are those assets invested? So uh, there are, uh, it's called a yield aggregator. Okay. And uh, what it does is uh, this is entirely on-chain, uh, permissionless, uh, non-custodial. Um, we're not uh, holding funds. It's all in a smart contract. And those smart contracts in turn are routing to where is the best yield within a certain risk tolerance. This is one of the mm. unique things about Vesper is that uh, we have uh, kind of two buckets, conservative and aggressive risk levels. Mm. And the conservative risk level we feel is something uh, new to the industry and uh, is part of leveling up that uh, level of professionalism is that uh, these yield sources, they have been on the market uh, for uh, months, possibly years. They've been seasoned. They've seen real money testing. They've seen dollar volume, transaction volume. We have about 20 metrics that we look at when we're examining a yield source like a compound or an Ave or a Uniswap, or a MakerDAO, uh, four of the components that we use. Mm. And we look at those metrics and we say, is it sufficiently low risk that we can uh, call it conservative? And if the answer is yes, it goes into one bucket. If the answer is no, then it goes into an aggressive, sort of high risk, higher yield bucket. And so users can dial their risk level if they uh, feel that it's uh, they have they're comfortable with higher risk, then they can go with that aggressive set of strategies. If they uh, are just looking to park liquidity, passive income, but uh, they want the longevity rather than the risk, they go with the conservative strategies. Um. Okay, and, and that would be the difference with something like Yearn, which is offering something pretty similar to, to you know, like depositing uh, crypto assets and having this yield aggregator, yield bouncer, uh, they call it, but they don't have these um, different uh, risk uh, levels uh, that users can choose from. So th that would be kind of the distinction with, with other yield bouncers in the market, I guess. Uh, there, yeah, absolutely. There, there are a number of distinctions. So, uh, choose, choosing your risk level or dialing your risk—that's mm -hmm. uh, one. We actually work with Yearn. Okay. That uh, we have pools that, uh, again, they're on the the higher risk side of that divide. Mm -hmm. But if you uh, want to uh, engage with one of our aggressive pools, then uh, we are sourcing some of that yield from Yearn itself. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were, you know, it's a, a co-optetition maybe, uh, in that, uh, it's, there are some similarities, uh, but also some differences. Another difference is that, uh, we have a revenue model so that, uh, each of these pools is tied together with a, a VSP governance token. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the, uh, pools, they have, uh, fees associated with them. There's a withdrawal fee and a uh, interest fee. Uh, and those fees from all the pools 
go to a uh, central uh, treasury box, which uh, liquidates those tokens down to uh, the VSP token. So this is creating buying pressure by selling ETH that was earned as a fee and buying the VSP. And mm -hmm. then uh, that Vesper token goes into what's called a revenue vault. So anyone who wants to stake their tokens can receive a portion of the revenue. So mm -hmm. we wanted to really think about the sustainability of the entire system. Um, you know, there's a lot of energy behind Yearn, but uh, at the same time, their token was uh, almost minted by mistake. Uh, they had minted uh, 30,000 or so tokens, and then uh, a governance proposal to uh, increase the mintage uh, did not pass. Mm -hmm. And so they're kind of stuck with, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, happy accident of history, and it's not quite as integrated into each of the products as uh, ours is uh, natively integrated into all these pools. So we had the benefit of hindsight and we had the benefit to say, well, there's a couple mistakes that Yearn made and uh, we can uh, learn from those mistakes and uh, create something that's more decentralized and more sustainable. Hmm. But what's the end goal of adding fees to these pools beyond distributing it beyond distributing these fees to token holders? Is it, you know, in the end, paying um, Vesper developers um, to, you know, continue maintaining Vesper? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Is it creates a sustainability for uh, Vesper overall. We mm -hmm. have, in a, you know, the in addition to just that base revenue cycle I described, is we have uh, a risk-adjusting staircase for onboarding developers. The, the metaphorical whiz kid in uh, Shanghai or in Stanford who uh, writes a uh, strategy that generates uh, some pretty amazing yield, you want to take that raw source code and uh, we sponsor or pay for source code audits for that developer. We provide resources for private testing we provide resources for back testing. And then uh, unique in the industry, we actually provide uh, some test capital so that those developers send their strategies through real money limited testing live on the Ethereum mainnet. And so if it survives that kind of Darwinian competition and that Darwinian Wild West, then we move it up and we trust it a little bit more with a little bit more money. And we ratchet up that level of trust over time so that eventually, months down the line, it's been battle tested and we can then assign a uh, portion of that fee revenue to that developer. And so in theory, uh, a Shanghai developer who writes a great strategy can retire on that uh, stream of income. And we gave them all the resources that we could think of for them to succeed. Awesome. Um, still, I mean, I, I see, you know, all, all these uh, token models emerging um, and, and they, you know, they make sense, like they look promising, but in the end, there's still the risk of 
just this being open source code and you know it becoming a race to the bottom um someone will create something similar to vesper with lower fees and then it'll be hard for you to compete um how do you see these token models evolving yeah for uh some uh products like swaps we've seen that uh the users are very happy to jump to a new project you know, when the fees are, you know, one quintillionth lower. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and uh, some of the software such as DEX aggregators actually help with that is uh, as soon as a new uh, like sushi swap is uh, on the market, a uh, DEX aggregator will start routing traffic if the price is right. And so that's pretty common in the trading sphere, but you see it uh, a little bit less in the, uh, the vaulting uh, sphere because although you can fork the source code, you can't really fork the community and the liquidity that's bound up in the uh, particular uh, yield aggregators. And so that's, that's part of the, the moat that uh, each product, uh, each project has. And uh, Vesper in particular, we feel that uh, not only are the fees competitive, other uh, projects are, you know, they're higher fees, but again, you know, you might get into that race that you just talked about, but uh, you have that developer upramp that uh, really embeds a developer in your community. We saw a lot of community efforts like this in my Linux kernel days, pre-blockchain, where the learning curve was so high, we had to create uh, mentoring projects to uh, mentor developers into your ecosystem. And uh, you know, writing strategies is a, a, a high-dollar uh, type of activity where you're potentially managing hundreds of millions, maybe even billions of dollars. And so that uh, developer on-ramp and that developer community is uh, something that can't easily be forked and replicated. Okay, that's interesting. So you're, you're hoping or betting on a very skilled developers coming onto Vesper to create strategies because they're being incentivized to do so with, uh, with Vesper tokens and that in the long run, this uh, community or network of high-skilled uh, developers, um, that will be really hard to replicate and will make the Vesper protocol more valuable, even if there's something else that's similar with lower fees. That's right. It's a uh, continuous engine for uh, new innovation year on year. And that's something that you can't fork. This this whole kind of um, like mechanism of like hiring, uh, quote unquote, but not really, is, is so interesting to me. It seems like this there's um, a whole new uh, business model emerging where you're creating instead of just like full time paid roles at companies, you're just creating this like grant or not grant, but this like funding source for like just contributors building your company. Um, it's sort of like a, like a contributor driven uh, way of, of building. That's uh, it's so interesting. Um, how, I mean, 
It's very self-motivated. You know, we look for self-motivated individuals Mm -hmm. is uh, no one invited me to work on Bitcoin. Right. Saw it on a website. I dove into the source code myself and, uh, you know, took it upon myself to start changing the software. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking for similar developers is that if you're self-motivated enough to learn, here's this staircase that we've built for you to make it easy for you to just walk in off the street. And if you choose that you're working for Vesper, then you're working for Vesper. It's a a new way of thinking about uh, employment. It's so interesting. Do you think, do you think there will be like, do you think this will lend itself to, to any industry or is there specific kinds of companies that can actually implement something like this? Well, I I think it's mainly digital friendly. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you're not going to get a a pipe fitter or an iron worker to, uh, (laughs) (laughs) to really fit this model. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, but absolutely, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, media or communications or software development, uh, you know, or, or, you know, uh, filmmaking, any of those, I think you can build that kind of mentoring on-ramp. And uh, just uh, as an engineer, I look at kind of what I call the plumbing behind the scenes. Blockchain uh, makes it uh, possible for these disparate individuals to plug themselves into self-organizing networks. And so I think that's the, the software and social component that's new and interesting. Yeah. Um, so cool. Okay. And then on, on Vesper, like when, um, is it going to be, I know that there, there was a, like a beta launch, like are are people already able to go on and, and start using it? What's kind of the current status? As we are recording this, our engineers are putting the final post audit smart contracts on the blockchain. And so mm-hmm. our beta is about to go out the door in uh, mere hours. Uh, oh, by wow. the time this uh, YouTube, I th- <laughs> I'm pretty sure it'll be live. And nice. then uh, T plus uh, one to two weeks after that, uh, we go to full production and we're uh, banging the drums and have the marching band uh, marching down the street. Nice. Um, and what what's the beta? Is it like for uh, like select group of people or is anyone able to test it with limits? Like what does it include? Yeah, anyone who is uh, comfortable with uh, testing a beta product. So again, it's kind of uh, dial your own risk level. Uh, it's uh, public beta, open participation. And uh, if you uh, participate in the beta, then uh, you'll uh, receive a, uh, a risk reward in the term of uh, Vesper tokens uh, some weeks uh, later. Cool. Um, so it's and, an incentivized beta. Okay, cool. Does it have any, any limits? Um, right now, we uh, have what's called a soft limit. And so uh, 10 million uh, AUM. Uh, for uh, each of the pools during beta is our soft limit. Um, we can, uh, if we elect to, uh, through uh, multi-sig governance, uh, increase that. But uh, once we hit production, uh, no limits. Okay. And how kind of decentralized 
is this? Uh, like first, is uh, is there any KYC required? And also what level of control does Block have over uh, running the whole thing? Sure, so on the fund perspective, it's uh, permissionless, uh, non-custodial, um, there, there is no KYC gate uh, or anything of that nature. Uh, so that's, that's one side of uh, that. Um, from the, uh, the governance perspective, we uh, have a, we've studied uh, the various fair launches and uh, the various governance tokens. And I think we've applied a lot of uh, lessons learned from there, uh, taking a, a phased approach. So uh, the initial phase, it's a uh, multi-sig of uh, block team members and also a couple externals, so uh, some advisors. Uh, phase two, we use uh, the compound governance model. Uh, so uh, that's quickly becoming an industry standard, uh, not just with compound. And so uh, proposals have to go through an on-chain governance and voting process. So that's that's kind of the the path to decentralization is initially there's a multi-sig uh, and also there for emergencies, but uh, long-term it's uh, the compound governance process. And the compound governance process is basically uh, token on holders with voting. a certain... Okay. On-chain voting with a, th a certain vote threshold for proposals and a certain vote threshold for passing. Got it. Um, great. And then how many, how many pools are you going to launch with? So we're launching with, uh, three, uh, VUSDC for USDC holding, uh, VETH for ETH holding and VBTC for, you guessed it, uh, Bitcoin holding. Uh, so three initial pools, uh, very much targeted at, uh, crypto holders who, uh, want to, just deposit and uh, sort of set and forget. And we take care of all the, the gas fees. If uh, transaction fees go up, uh, you're not uh, impacted at all. We're uh, aggregating all those fees, just like we're aggregating and uh, pooling the yield. And uh, after that, uh, we have a component called a pool factory that can uh, marry uh, a token with a yield strategy. So we just have to uh, turn the crank and we can create new holding pools uh, for uh, whatever tokens that uh, seem to have demand, community, longevity, uh, kind of, you know, just generally high quality is what we're uh, shooting for after those first three. Interesting. For the Bitcoin pool, is it any wrapped Bitcoin? That's exactly right. Okay. Um, cool. Okay. And then just going forward, looking at the broader, if, if you, if you see Vesper as fitting into the automated asset management space in DeFi, um, where do you see this space, uh, going in the long term? Like, do you see it, um, just eating Wall Street's market share, like replacing um, uh, re replacing traditional funds? Like what's the kind of long-term uh, game in this? I, th I think it's twofold is, uh, you know, one is that decentralized finance 
is breaking down uh, that uh, walled garden where you log into a centralized account and you just see Fidelity products, or you log into a centralized account, you just see Vanguard products. Uh, with DeFi, it's uh, one wallet talking to any number of uh, vendors, and you can mix and match those in new and interesting ways. Like I mentioned earlier, we're uh, you know ostensibly uh, playing in the same space as Yearn, but again, with our conservative versus aggressive risk levels, we're also plugging into Yearn. And so this, uh, this interconnectivity is going to continue to pull legacy finance into the DeFi space. And uh, we're creating new innovations and trying new innovations at a faster pace than uh, I think the, the legacy finance industry. And so that's going to continue to pull legacy finance in this direction. At the same time, and you mentioned earlier KYC, I think there is uh, room for uh, kind of a parallel track for uh, hybrid finance, whereby uh, there are going to be some uh, KYC uh, controls in, uh, say, a parallel set of uh, yield aggregating uh, tools. Um, so those are, uh, you know, it's kind of a fusion of both uh, to, to answer that question. Um, but also there's just flat out new products we've never seen before. Um, there are, uh, we've invented something uh, new called directed pools. Uh, holding pools are something pretty familiar. It's you deposit a crypto and you earn interest in that crypto. That's a familiar uh, DeFi primitive. Uh, directed pools are uh, you deposit one thing and you earn something else uh, and you can do something interesting with that yield. And uh, so what, is that, what, is, what does that mean? Uh, to be specific, uh, you can uh, fund a charity by uh, you and your friends all pool together. And there is a project called Pool Together that does this. Uh, pool together, uh, let's say a million dollars among uh, all your friends. And then you wait 30 days and you take back all your money. And you funded a charity through the interest earned on your money. Or uh, venture capital, this has the uh, possibility to change venture capital, whereby uh, limited partners, again, they all pool their capital. They wait 90 days. They all withdraw 100% of their capital, so no money lost. And they funded an angel round of a startup or a seed round or a series A. And so it's, it's kind of an evergreen funding model whereby you can use the yield for interesting new capital formations that uh, go way beyond, I have some ether and I want my ether to compound. You start to be able to automate and program where that yield goes and uh, get really creative about it. So uh, those are some of the, the possibilities with that new DeFi primitive we're calling directed pools. And uh, we're seeing a lot of interest in that sort of uh, do, you know, earn X and then do something automated with it type of uh, pattern, which is really interesting. Yeah, no, I, I've seen those projects. Um, super interesting. Are you, are you, do you want to implement that as well in, in Vesper? Uh, we have. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I, yeah, it's not going to be uh, released at launch, but uh, that is uh, our second line of products is uh, the directed pools. And uh, we do have 
some uh, charity interconnections. So we're going to do some charity events. We're also uh, going to uh, build some products that uh, allow sort of the other 99% be able to generate yield with their tokens. Uh, right now, today, it's kind of the major tokens that can generate yield, your ETH, your Bitcoin, uh, something like that. But uh, there's just so many tokens out there that are underserved. And uh, we feel that you could uh, deposit, say, deposit some ETH and earn uh, coin. And uh, that's that's a realistic DeFi primitive that if there's a, a really interesting community that you want to address, uh, you could create a community coin for that and have one of these directed pools uh, help fund a community center or a community event. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, so would the idea behind that be you deposit ETH? you invest that ETH in, in, you know, whatever, different pools and strategies, and then the return you get on that, you just automatically convert to another token? Is that kind of That's what's exactly behind right. the idea? That's exactly right. And so that automation, you can chain it such that it goes into another product, which goes into another product. Mm -hmm. um, you can use that yield just for flat funding, you know, send a check to a charity uh, like UNICEF or something like that, or send a check to a startup to fund a startup, or you can, uh, you know, do uh, you you can start to program yield in ways that uh, quickly become, I guess, very complex but also very innovative. Yeah, so interesting. And you know, wrapping up, I just wanted to touch on the the first thing that you mentioned, which in in, in this question, which was pulling in uh, traditional finance and finding this kind of hybrid. Um, can, can you explain more what you mean by that? Like how do you, do you think traditional finance or like legacy finance will start building DeFi, uh, DeFi products? Or, or is it like, like Vesper launches a KYC um, arm and, and that arm invests in, in kind of like, or like via FinTech applications? Sure. Well, uh, what we've done uh, with Vesper is we built these uh, permissionless yield strategies. Mm -hmm. And uh, at launch, uh, that's, that's field testing, road testing, and eventually uh, sort of battle hardening those yield strategies. We can take that same software and create kind of a separate universe that uh, is a little bit more permissioned. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're, we're reusing the same software that we've already battle-hardened for uh, a similar use case, but in that case, it's uh, wrapped with uh, KYC. So mm -hmm. there's, uh, there's one potential for uh, bringing institutions in and giving them a, uh, a little bit more of a comfort level with uh, that particular KYC, but we also feel that uh, that's, that's kind of a limited bubble. And uh, they'll eventually want to graduate from the, 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 K, the JV squad to full DeFi, to full uh, decentralized finance, full public blockchain. And uh, that's where that conservative versus aggressive comes into play as we feel institutions will move from sort of the KYC uh, you know, kiddie pool to the full decentralized finance conservative strategy. 
So, uh, you know, previous, previous to Vesper, you've had these, uh, you know, aggressive uh, food festivals and institutions really haven't had a appetite for it. Whereas uh, with the conservative strategy and uh, potential for hybrid finance, that gives institutions an up-ramp or an on-ramp into uh, DeFi and into full public blockchain. Mm. Will be so interesting to see. I, I think that will be a big trend uh, in, in the coming year, that kind of hybrid space, which I think hasn't been explored at all so far. Absolutely. Completely agree. Awesome. Well, this has been such an interesting conversation, Jeff. I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. I had a lot of fun. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Okay, excited to check out Vesper when it launches. And congrats again as it's you know, launching as we speak. <laughs> it is on uh, Vesper.finance. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thank you. And before we close, here's another word about our awesome sponsors. Diversify is a layer two Ethereum exchange built on Starkware, allowing for high-speed gas-free trading with some of the deepest liquidity in the industry. They recently launched Nectar Beehive V1, a rewards program for liquidity providers of their utility token Nectar. Nectar powers the Nectar DAO and will soon give holders trading fee discounts of up to 20%. Learn more about Diversify Nectar and how it can impact your trading at nectar.community. With crypto, security and ownership of your assets really matter. To give you full control, Ledger created a hardware wallet combined with the Ledger Live application to secure your crypto while giving you the freedom to manage your assets. The Ledger Live application lets you buy, sell, exchange, and manage your crypto. Especially for DeFiers, Ledger enables you to manage and secure Ether, DeFi tokens, and lend stablecoins on Compound directly. Meanwhile, every action you take on the application is secure thanks to your Ledger hardware wallet. You no longer need to use different platforms to manage and secure your crypto. Neutrino is an algorithmic price-stable cryptocurrency protocol that facilitates the creation of stablecoins tied to specific real-world assets and collateralized by the WAVES token. Neutrino USD or USDN is the protocol's first algorithmic stablecoin that has cross-chain extensions and is simultaneously available on three blockchains, WAVES, Ethereum, and Binance Smart Chain. USDN is pegged to the US dollar and backed by Waves, providing its holders with a staking option through the underlying Waves blockchain. Currently, USDN is one of the biggest ALGO stablecoins available on centralized and decentralized exchanges. Go check the website at neutrino.at. OneInch, which you can find at oneinch.exchange, is a decentralized exchange aggregator that sources liquidity from the top DEXs and liquidity sources to save users the maximum amount of money. OneInch is aimed at finding the best possible trading paths and splitting them among multiple market depths. The main highlights of the recently launched V2 are Pathfinder, an API that contains a new discovery and routing algorithm, and a new intuitive user-friendly UI. The V2 improvements are aimed at providing the best rates on swaps and dramatically cutting response time. One Inch Exchange was launched in May 2019 at the Ethan York Hackathon and has surpassed 5 billion in overall volume in just over a year. 
I'll continue to interview all the major founders and influencers in this emerging space. When DeFi eats the world, you can say you heard them here first. Tune in next week.